1: Yo, welcome into the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence. Yay! Woo! Thank you for checking in on this episode of the podcast. You are going to enjoy it. I promise you. I don't usually make that promise to the listener of House of L, but. I can promise you that you are going to enjoy this particular episode. I'm so excited that Justin Kaufman said yes to this conversation. I want to explain to you why it's really weird to have Justin on the podcast. I will do that momentarily. But first, we got to take care of the business. You know this by now. Our podcast is... Been taken care of by some really cool, good advertisers. And we thank them for their support of our podcast, of this little venture as it starts to grow out. And you've heard episodes of Maddie Lee of her podcast, which is incredible. We are going to add a couple of more. And now I can, I'll say it inside of this episode. And I know that for House of L listeners, you'll you'll get the exclusive first. On this, and then it'll end up being in the paper later on this week. I've been working with Russ Dorsey and Jason Leisure on a podcast called Sports Adjacent. Tony Gill is actually producing it. I don't know if Tony wanted his business out there like that, but he's producing that podcast. Those two guys came to me and said they wanted to do something, and I said, let's go. I got two two of my smartest friends working together on a podcast and Tony. No diss to Tony because, you know, I adore him. But those two dudes, they're extremely smart, and they're so much fun, and they're in different life places, and that's what the podcast is going to be about. But the reason that that is allowed is because we have advertisers like David Hockberg. For more than 20 years, David has built his business helping first responders and medical professionals secure mortgages, and he wanted to do more to say thank you. Every week, Team Hochberg recognizes first responders and medical professionals for keeping us safe and healthy. This week, Team Hochberg is recognizing Dr. Edward Siegel, his entire support staff at Edward H. Siegel DDS Limited in Northbrook. Yeah, you got to take care of your teeth, man. Dr. Siegel can help you out in that regard. Team Hochberg purchased food from Josh's Hot Dogs in Northbrook, owned by Josh Kaplan. First responders and medical professionals deserve our appreciation, and family-owned restaurants need our support. So here you have David taking care of both. That's what he does. He can also help you get financing for your home. So don't forget that part of it. Team Hochberg helped me. Thousands of first responders, medical professionals, and my podcast listeners. But they can't help you if you don't call 855 56 David or visit 56David.com. That's right, 56David.com. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender. NMLS number 1124061. So, yeah. Jason and Russ are going to do this podcast and we're going to get an episode out soon and it's going to be dope. And they're 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 putting so much into the work of it that it it can't help but be good. So make sure you check it out. It'll be out later on this week. And I think what I'm going to do is I think I'm going to give everyone their own feed again. We're going to try this again where we post everyone there in their own feed and see how you react. So when we post these new feeds, make sure that you subscribe so that they get, get that, that love and we get those downloads because we appreciate those downloads. Another one of our sponsors is Brendan Studzinski. He is State Farm Rep in Lincoln Park. He's terrific. Terrific. For every quote that you get from him, all you got to do is go to his website, chicagosf.com, chicagosf.com. For every quote you get from him, Paul Chicago gets $10 from State Farm. So you can just help out our doggy friends, the good boys and girls. You can help them out by just getting a quote from Brendan. His name is Brendan Studzinski. You don't have to remember that. All you have to remember is chicagosf.com. Go there right now. Do it right now. Go to ChicagoSF.com, get a quote, and you help out pause Chicago. Justin Kaufman is my guest this week. And if you ever had, whether we're talking about a relationship or you have a mutual friend with someone that isn't your friend, And they tell you, man, you know, you should be friends with blah, blah, blah. You two would be great friends. Or you should go out with such and such because you two would make a great couple. That is me and Justin Kaufman right there. That's the two of us. He's been having people say, you know, you and Lauren should, like, do something. And I've been, like, people have been telling me, you and Justin should do something. Like, you guys would be great together. For a long time, Justin was on WGN while I was on The Score at night. So we were up against each other. And I always loved his show. Like, I would check out his show. I know people who work with him closely on his show, like my man Pete Zimmerman. And everyone was always like, man, you two would hit it off. You two would hit it off. You know, most of the time when people tell you stuff like that, you're like, oh, you're full of shit. Like, we wouldn't hit it off. But Justin and I seem to have been on these parallel tracks for a big portion of our career. And how we started in the business is similar. What we were doing, show-wise, like our styles, he's a lot funnier and smarter than I am. You'll hear when we discuss. But we were kind of doing similar stuff. And so I think that's why people were like, you two would make for a really good match. We're both radio geeks, like big-time radio geeks. And so we finally, I hit him up, and I I hit him up uh, like probably a couple months ago, and I was like, hey, I want to get you on the podcast. And he's like, yeah. (laughs) Why haven't I been on the podcast? I'm like, it's a really good question. Strangely enough, when you hear people say, hey, you would really like this person or you should go out with this person, it never goes really well. Like, people think they know you, but then they don't know you. But I got to say, whether it was Mary or Stephanie or Pete or Connor All the people that were like, you two would really hit it off. You should talk with each other. They were 100% right. 100% right. I walked away from this episode of the podcast feeling like I had worked with Justin before. And that's a testament to how good of a broadcaster he is. Like, it's rare that I'm like, I could see myself partnered up with that dude. Or that that woman. That hasn't happened very often. It's happened a few times. Like, obviously, like, I could see myself partnered with Jason Goff. Like, that's just easy money. Easy money. And I could see myself partnered with Sierra Santos. And I could see myself partnered with Layla Rahimi. Easy money. But it was cool to sit down with Justin and walk away and be like, yep, people were right. I really like this guy. He's pretty dope. You heard Justin on WBEZ. You've heard him on WGN. He has a Twitch channel now called Chicago4, the number four, 4 Real. You can check them out there. We get into a lot of stuff. We spend a lot of time. If you like hearing about radio, I think that you'll, you'll really love this because we have similar thoughts on that, Strange, strangely enough. We have similar thoughts on how things work in radio. So sit back, relax, and strap it down. I had a chance to talk with a really good man who is out here giving you great content and we talked for a while and it was super enjoyable me and Justin Kaufman on the House of L podcast hey hey Justin what's up man what's up man man i'm so happy that you were able to do this
2: <laughs> good to see you man I'm, I'm a big fan of yours i love i love listening to you and can you hear me okay
1: yeah i got you good i feel the good. same way i'm already recording man so i all right good dude i'm so excited to have you on the podcast cuz i feel like I feel like the two of us should have probably have done something, like, years ago. All right? And, and we haven't had the chance to do it. So, I, I've got so many questions. But let's, let's start with something fun before we, right. like, talk about career stuff. What's your feeling on Dibs?
2: I'm a Dibs guy. I get it. I, I get it. You know, like, I, I, hate, I hate people get really bent out of shape about it, to be honest. Because like, I'm like, anyone who's lived in Chicago has had to, to actually dig out a spot and then come back home and it's someone else took it that's tough man that's rage that's like cta rage you know i get i find myself in the only place i ever get extreme rage in my life is when like i get wronged by the cta like if i'm waiting for a bus and it's not coming that's when or or you know the bus doesn't stop for some reason (laughs) i've never run in chicago after anything else but a cta bus like that's the only time like if they blow past you and you're standing there I, I turn into a track star. I'm like running. So I feel the same way with dibs. Like there's a lot of rage involved in dibs. So I just feel like everyone's usually on good behavior. The people who are douchebags who, who hold the stuff who like today, like they have stuff out there. Yeah. Today, like that doesn't like, make, make any
1: that. sense. I, I saw something. I thought about you on Friday because I was driving around in Bronzeville. I got to I'll send you a picture. Cause I took a picture of it. It was the cutest dibs I've ever seen. It was like it's like a a pink like park. It looked like a dollhouse bench like for a little kid. And there were two of them. So I'm like, what are they doing? But it, it was still out there. And by Friday, you know, like there was movement by Friday. Like you you could find a place to park or whatever. And it just made me laugh because that's that's how deep into it that we go. Like, I wonder if those people were even at work or if they had already found another parking <laughs> space and just forgot
2: about the thing that they left in the spot. I'm looking out when I look out, there's a car right in front of my place and it has not moved all winter. So like the 20 inches of snow, everything that happened, it has not, it's now looking great. Like it's just a normal car, but that car has not moved since didn't dig it out. Didn't start it. Didn't when it got cold, nothing. It is still there. And right now it looks perfect and pristine. Like it just parked there two hours ago.
1: Well, the, that's That's what I wondered. Like like, I saw a car that right on the corner of Cermak and Wabash. And it was in one of those spots where the tow truck just got it. Like it it had it on on the backside and it had it on the driver's side. And I'm sitting there going, are they ever going to are they going to ever come for it? Like, are they going to wait for the snow to melt? Are they going to dig out enough to open the door and then start it? And then a few days later like you could see them like digging out of it but it was it it was amazing to see like the because I went walking before that first big snow happened I went walking around the south loop I made it back to my place like just in time and I saw that car roll up and park and I was like that's that's a terrible idea for what the forecast is going to be.
2: You watch the lifespan of that car. You've yeah. It from the from when it parked to when it
1: uh, got tossed. And sure enough, like that night, I was like, oh, that car, that poor car is trapped. But it eventually made it out. But yes, I wanted to ask you about dibs for sure. There's more stuff that I want to talk to you about. Like how, how does one become comedy partners with a mayoral candidate and a friend of Vic Mensa's, like how 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 do you navigate both friend. of those yeah, worlds? I'm a
2: friend, yeah. uh, I, you know, it's a weird. It's been a weird career like that. I, I did a bunch of Second City stuff when I, in the nineties, uh, like I did all the classes there in the conservatory, and I met up with a bunch of cool people, and we started doing shows as this group, Schadenfreude. and And at the time, I was producing at WBEZ. and so there were a lot of you know producers. They don't really care what you're doing. <laughs> you like you do your job, and then you know I'm gonna go. And I was young, so I'm like, well, I'm gonna go do sketch comedy at night. And so, but because I was producing daily public affairs talk shows, you know, I was ta- I was producing stuff about Chicago. The comedy at the weekend was a lot of sketches about Chicago news. Like it just became that. Like, mm-hmm. and everyone was very aware that was in the group, so it just became kind of a thing. And so then it just naturally when we would riff and do bits and brainstorm but what if you could get mayor Daly? <laughs> what if you could get that alderman to come to a show so we started thinking like that and there are limitations to try and get someone out to a you know black box theater at 10 o'clock at night on a you know on a saturday night or whatever but then over time as we uh, did different medium like uh doing i was doing the shot radio show on uh, npr and other things it became easier to get them because you you know you were able to actually pitch them for something where they most likely didn't have to leave their house and that became easy and people started loving it. Uh, and we've had a lot of success with, with dumb cameos. (laughs) It's like like dumb cameos. And Vic Mensa, Vic Mensa was a slog like guys like Vic Mensa. It takes a long time. You have to, you have to be a producer at heart to deal with all the PR people and all the people around him. It takes, you know, it takes forever. And you just have to like not get mad every time they say not this week or not next week and that kind of thing. And then once once they have that experience with you and you, you do the interview and you're well prepared and you're respectful of their time and their and their work, they, then it becomes easier because then they're like, oh, I'll do it again. I like, I like that guy. And so that becomes easier. That's what I found at GN too. It's like, I got a lot of like, I, I've interviewed G Herbo three times, you know, and it's, it's funny because not, not usually a guy that's going to show up on WGN radio. And the first time he, I don't think he knew what he was getting into. And then he had a really good experience and he's like, I want to go do that experience again. And he got more confident in, in almost having like a, a, one hour sit down, you know, more like a public radio conversation than, uh, than, you know, being on a, on a rap show or something
1: like that. God, I love when you get one of those types of interviews where maybe the person is a tad bit reluctant and then they, you, you see them, you can hear them give, like Get comfortable and give. It's such a, a beautiful thing to have happen. I saw Vic Mensa at the uh, the pop up show at, yeah, at the right. Chicago theater, and he was amazing. Like i I was a little, I was like, I don't know how this is going to work. Like, you're going to have like a mini Vic Mensa concert in the middle of all of these hilarious people, but it worked out beautifully, especially at the time when the concert was going on. I think he's such an important. He's great. Yeah. Like, he, he, what I like about Vic is that he, he walks the walk. Like, there's a bunch of dudes right. out here that, that talk slick, but he is actually out here in the streets being about what he says he's about in his
2: records. His last album, I mean, he, he really turned heads with the 16 shots, the Laquan McDonald stuff, which was great. It became an anthem. But his last album he put out was really personal. It was a lot of, um, sort of playing out his insecurities, like uh, being much more vulnerable than he'd been in the past. And it was interesting because when I was, I was pitching, I remember I was pitching the PR guy had listened to the album and I was like, yeah, I really want to talk to him. And they were kind of like, that's what he doesn't want to talk about. <laughs> they were like, you can leave that to the music. Like we don't want to go back into the depression or whatever it was, you know, we'll, we'll leave that for the music. Let's just talk about when the album drops. <laughs> that's the vibe I got.
1: I felt like Kid Cudi opened the door for more exploration of artists to kind of talk about mental illness or anxiety. And I'm glad that more rappers are going into that place where it's not about what I have or what I'm trying to get. Why not make it about some of the things that I'm going through? And I imagine that there is a way that those artists are – are getting through, are touching listeners because if Vic is going through it or Cuddy's going through it, well, it's not that weird that I'm going through it.
2: Yeah, right. No, absolutely, and and, they, and it's also more interesting. I and mean, all of our all, all of our favorite musicians, you're you're attached to them because of the journey of their their songwriting and, and their life. And it's just more interesting than I'm gunning for the number one spot. All right. You can say that a couple of times, <laughs> right? <laughs> so like the 10th time you're like, that's just the variation on you want to be number one. Uh, but when they, when they finally, and I think it comes with the comfort of their sound, but also the comfort with their audience, where they have a good fan base and and they're willing to go there. It's all, it's just better. I, I, G Herbo is the same way. This stuff is later stuff where he talked about, you know, his life and, what he's gone through, it shines. And, it, it, and it, again, it's just, he's probably more comfortable now because he's produced a lot of music.
1: Who was the cameo at the theater that blew you away?
2: Well, I, such a dumb story, but the, uh, my favorite was we got asked to, uh, I play an Alderman character, Alderman Ed Bus.
1: Of oh, the 53rd Ward, right?
2: The 53rd Ward, and it is a old school alderman. Hello. It's kind of like based on Ed Burke. Like, it's just a, a Chicago machine alderman that didn't realize that the world moved out, right? That's the <laughs> joke. That's the bit. He's out, he's out there shoveling, but he's also, like, taking bribes. Like, he's just, he's a Chicago corrupt alderman and still thinks that's the way it is. And so we would make a ton of Mayor Daley jokes, and- I think it was the Walter E. Smith brothers. Remember those guys? Like yes. the the carpet uh, thing. They had a like a, a like a going away party for Mayor Daly when he when he retired, and they called us and said, well Alderman Ed bus come and and roast him?" Get out of here! Yeah, it was downtown was on Hubbard Street, and and I was like, "What?" Like it was like a dream come true because we had made so many jokes about Mayor Daly, and I also was kind of like, "Are you nuts?" Like that, he's not going to like that. Are you trying
1: (laughs) to get me killed
2: up (laughs) here? (laughs) So we did it. I remember we did a script and that that was the thing. We had to send a script, a a sketch to uh, the city, to the mayor's office to make sure that it was like, okay. And they came back and they censored a bunch of jokes. Like they censored, they put a black line through stuff. They're like, can't say that. They wanted to change the name of the character. They thought it was too close to Ed Burke. And luckily there was somebody who worked in the mayor's office that knew us. And knew the comedy and was like, no, 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 you can't change the name. That's they're not doing that for this, that's been around. And so we went there and it was, and I got on stage and they were these high back chairs while they were kind of introducing uh, me to come up. And I got to sit right next to Mayor Daly. Get out. All right. I was right next to him. And the joke of the character is that I love Mayor Daly. Like I am, a, I am in love. He's the best mayor there ever was. He's the king. Uh, I'll do anything he tells me to do. Like I, it's that's the joke of the character, right? So I needed to like, kind of play with him. Like we were best friends. So I was like, kind of like every time the guy who was on the mic would say something, I'd like hit him on the arm, kind of laugh, you know, cause I knew it was being taped too. So I was like, this is great for us later And I'm like putting my arm around the mayor <laughs> shit like that. And he's not really, it's, the, it's the freakiest most intimidating thing of all time, because I still at the heart of a sketch comedian touching the mayor of Chicago. And I was like, Oh no. So I got up there, and it was great. It was, we made a couple jokes. It was good. It was fine. And it was funny because the mayor's office actually censored one of the, there was a, it was a Rahm Emanuel joke because he was next up and they they censored it. They said, no, don't say that. And we were like, we, you know, defiant sketch comedians being like, no, we're, you can't tell us what to do. And so we just said, we're just going to say it. Like, who cares? What are they going to do? And uh, we said it and it, it, it bombed. Like it didn't go over and i'm like well maybe they maybe they, they actually knew what they were talking about they have good comedy <laughs> timing <laughs> they, they knew to they weren't that. judging the politics or judging the joke of it <laughs> but it, was, it was hilarious and he hung out with us afterwards and it was hilarious because he was a good sport and he taught us something that day he goes this is how it works and you remember he told all of us just kind of hanging on the side he's like this is a perfect opportunity for me to sniff, sneak out the back door so he like we watched him kind of like you know what like almost go become a wallflower and then just like, just disappear. Like he disappeared out of back door. There were no security. There was nothing. He just knew the room and he knew how to do it. And he did it without his people around. It wasn't a big exit out the front. He knew how to get out the room. And I was like, that's impressive, man.
1: That is impressive. It's a lesson learned by you. I mean, that's, that's a pretty solid story.
2: And that's another, and that's another guy that now I'm like, Oh, great. I've pitched Jackie Hurd and the mayor's office and mayor Daly himself 25 times since that. And they've said no. (laughs) <laughs> they're not interested in doing any more comedy. So no. We got our one spot.
1: But you, you you, nailed it when you got the opportunity, mm-hmm. which which is key. So have you always been a performer, like, even to when you were a child?
2: Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, I didn't really do any theater in or comedy stuff. I mean, I was. I was always joking around doing SNL bits and stuff like that when I was a kid. But I uh, didn't do it in high school. And it wasn't until I got to Chicago and – I, I was like, I want to, I want to hang out in second city, you know, like there was a cool vibe there. And I always liked it as a, uh, you know, being in high school, I had a, I had a public access TV show in high school uh, cause I grew up in McHenry County.
1: What was the name and of the show?
2: Corn carp and cable TV. That's what it was <laughs> you know, like making fun of growing up in wonder Lake and McHenry and that kind of shit. But anyway, the um, uh, I don't know if I can swear on here. Sorry. You can You feel <laughs> okay, free. Good. Okay, good. Uh, and that was fun and it was totally ridiculous and it was, it was not good, but it was, it was risk-taking and it was fun. And it was a blast to actually go to the public access station that was on route 31 and uh, go in there and, and record a bunch of stuff. It's just, I mean, it, I don't have the tapes anymore. I wish I did. That's the one thing that disappeared, but because th- it's obviously way before the internet. And um, so I did that. And then I was like, it came to, and I was like, let's do second city. And second city was awesome because at the time now it's a, I mean, it's a factory. Sure. You know, like there's there. It wasn't back then. Back then it was it was a little bit like 1996, 21 years old. And, um, yeah, they, the teachers were easy. Like it was it was it was I spent a lot of time there and I learned a lot about what comedy is and how to do sketches and, and the philosophy behind it. And the theory and all that stuff is I love that stuff. That's the stuff that draws me to do it over and over and over. So I think it was and I met all of the shopping for guys there. So that's that's why that was special.
1: Was there anyone famous in your class?
2: Yep, Ike Barinholtz. Oh my God. Yeah. Ike's a good buddy of mine. And he, um, he was in the class. I mean, uh, he was in there. Uh, there's a ton of people of that class. Jason Sudeikis. Uh Jason Sudeikis and I and Sean Fred hung out, Seth Myers. That whole crew is from Chicago. And they were like the, like the the popular 20 something rock stars, you know, in, in Chicago improv when we were doing shows. And uh, it's a great crew. And it's still to this day, like I, as, funny watching Sadakis on the golden globes in his hoodie and everyone was mad that he was in his hoodie, but I'm like, that reminds me of the Jason I know from <laughs> being 21 years old hanging out. Like he never, he, he wasn't much for pomp and circumstance. So it was funny to see him do that.
1: Yeah. Tell Ike if he ever yeah. wants to come talk Cubs on the flagship to hit me up. Yeah. I'll uh, give you,
2: I'll give you his. Yeah. he'd he, he love it. He talks Cubs. I know he, he does. Loves the Cubs.
1: the I, I know that he is a huge, huge fan of the Cubs and, and all that. I'm, I'm friends with, with kill gallon, gallon and he like swears yep. by Ike. So um, yeah, that's, that's a, that's cool. I tried man. to get Ike to
2: watch a football game on Twitch with me le- this fall. And he's like, dude, I got three kids, <laughs> got, like three kids under five or something. Like that. <laughs> They're like running around. <laughs> he's and, like, I can't I have five minutes. I love, love you. Talk to you later. And I'm like, yeah, all
1: right. He's got to like, wrangle all of those kids. Yeah. How'd you, right. end, how'd you end up
2: at Bez producing? I I was, I uh, went to Columbia college and uh i ended up in the radio department there and, wait 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 um,
1: if you went to columbia i gotta ask this question did you take terry Hemmert's class
2: i didn't i really? didn't i never got him in- terry Hemmert was a tough class to get for sure she had like a- i remember it was like a one-time thing where it was like maybe at night or something like that like monday nights and it would be sold out before you would even get close to it and i ended up being in journalism towards the end so i i wasn't at the point where I could take her class, but I know Terry Terry's unbelievable. She's, and
1: she's the best person. She's like, the best. I just know. I, I, I just, adore her
2: and the geeks in us. I and mean, it's like, I did a conference, uh, like a panel and she was on the panel and she was like, Oh, I listened to you every night. And I was just, I couldn't get over it. I was like, that's amazing. But it's she,
1: such a strange thing because I see her Well, we used to see her in the hallways when, you know, you could be in the yeah. hallways. And she would tell me about how, hey, I really like this segment. And she knew the segment. And I I asked her, because the score didn't have a a float in the Pride Parade, but I wanted to go. And she said to me, she was like, why don't you hang out on XRT's float? Yeah. And I was like, I'm with it. And we we go, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, because you know how Terry is. Like, she's, when it comes to that parade, like, there is a queen, and it is yeah. Terry Hemmer. And I I was waiting on her. Me and Mary Dixon were... We're hanging out. And I said, how in the world is Terry going to get through? Because she was doing the Channel 7 thing. I'm like, how is she going to get back here to this float? And Mary was like, don't worry. She's going to get here.
2: And it was. They part the party on us to see. Yes. So let Terry walk through, right? I was like, oh,
1: (laughs) man. So this is what it looks like when you're beloved by your community. And we sat there. And I wanted to talk to her about all of this, like, cool stuff and heavy stuff with the parade and she wanted to talk to me about baseball so that's what we did we just sat there and talked baseball as people are crying I'm looking up as we're going down Broadway and people are seeing Terry Hemmer and they're crying on their rooftops like it was it was one of the most amazing like purely Chicago moments that I've ever had in my life
2: yeah that's like when we were on the GN floats for the pride parade and, and it would be Tom Skilling Oh, Skilling was like, I mean, it was nuts. It was nuts to be anywhere near that float when Tom Skilling was on it. So, so you're at Columbia and, and
1: did you know that radio was the medium that you wanted or
2: it happens that way? I I was, I I got kind of sick of radio. You know, they were teaching at that time at Columbia. They were just teaching how to be a disc jockey. You know, like they were just teaching, like, I mean, it honestly was like, how do you, how do you get a record on the turntable? Like, how do you do the lead up before, you know, the little talk before you talk to the record? How do you hit the post? Yeah, how you hit the post, right? Like, a lot of of spinning and getting it ready and that kind of stuff. I remember I had to go to, like, the record shop by there, and I got a De La Soul record and a Smiths, the Smiths. And so, like, and an an LL Cool J. And it was those three records that I, for the first two years at Columbia, I would just spin, like, and here's I'm Bad with LL Cool J. I was like, "What, what am I doing? This is college? I was like, I can't do this. So I went and I did uh, journalism and then, uh, but I had met BZ is kind of like the perfect hybrid because that's a journalism shop that does radio. And I met Tori Malatia, who was the GM. He was a teacher there. And I said, you got any internships? And he said, sure. And I ended up being an intern there for a year. And then I ended up, which is awesome. Well, guy I love Tom Tuber, who was a producer left to go get a better job in Wisconsin and in classic B E C fashion, they're like, I guess we've we we have to rehire somebody. And in the in the months of figuring that out, I just did the show. I had a Richard Steele show. So it was a it was a daytime show. And I was just the intern doing it. And at one point, like I got called in and they're like, have you just been doing the show for like did we just have a complete oversight? Like, is it is the intern producing the show for three months? And I know I was so glad. I'm still getting paid nothing I didn't even ask about it because I'm like this is great and then they they, they uh, reluctantly hired me to be the producer
1: I'm laughing because I I've kind of felt like you and I have been on these like parallel yep. tracks for a while and that's exactly what happened to me when I was working and it's I, I think we're the same age like you're forty five,
2: 45 yeah. 46
1: yeah I'm 45 so yeah. I'm at maq while you while you're yes? at Old BZ, <laughs> and and I'm producing a show uh, called the Sports Huddle, okay. and the producer quit, and I was an intern there, and I they were like, hey, it was Luke Canellas and Jeff Joniak, and they were like, do you think you could you could produce this show? And I was like, um, yes, because the answer is always always yes yes, always yes. in in our business. I said, sure, I could I could totally do that, and. Then I ended up producing the show for like six months until they could find someone who you know was trained for it and wasn't handling a full time college workload yep, yep. at the time. It's so crazy. Like when those opportunities come up, if you're ready for them, it can
2: launch you. It into- happens fast. I mean, it happens fast. The um, uh, I remember the first check I got that was like full time work was twenty one grand. Twenty three five over here. Yes, <laughs> you I needed your agent, man. Yeah. I, was like a...
1: <laughs> I I try to explain to my students now that I I still don't have a good sense for how I survived. Yeah, right. On that money, and like do, think back to to that point where you're making twenty one thousand dollars a year. Like, how did we live?
2: How I had a I had an a apartment in Lincoln Square with two college buddies, so it's three of us, above the Hansa Clipper on Lincoln, that was 600 a month, so we all paid 200
1: That's nice.
2: <laughs> and then I, I remember, like, sweating when I took a one-bedroom in Ravenswood for 425 I was like, oh, my God, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can do it. I don't <laughs> know how ends are going to be made. 425 a month.
1: <laughs> I don't think I can make this work at 425 no. a month. For me, it was a garden apartment off of Addison and Walcott. Oh
2: yeah, classic.
1: So it was. I want to say five sixty a month between me and my roommate Matt Laz, and it's the same type of thing where you're like, oh, "Am I am I ready to move out on my own?
2: Can I can I afford paying? You got to pay the electric bill
1: too. Yeah. Oh jeez. I don't know
2: if I can do it. I don't, I don't know I
1: do if it. I can handle any of that stuff. So. If, if you weren't born of radio, how did you end up, like, falling in love with it?
2: You know, I, I think it was the Columbia College at least got me interested. And when I went to BEZ, that is a creative shop, man. And and I'm glad to see their numbers are huge right now. They are. Finally. But back in the day, it was kind of like a forgotten place. And it was a lot of really they, – they had all things considered in Morning Edition. But they also had, like, these local shows that you could do things on. You could And, and I quickly – uh, became really good friends. I produced John Dempsey, who's been at LS for just retired. And, uh, Aaron Freeman, who was a second city guy who I think was the reason why I got into second city, uh, at the time, cause he was doing a Saturday show called Metropolis which was just phenomenal. Lawrence, it was phenomenal. It was live bands. It was uh, remotes at the zoos. And it was, um, wow. it was uh, artists and performances and theater companies coming. I mean, it was like, what you think of like 1940s, like, uh, you know, plays that were on the radio, they were doing that on Saturdays from 12 to four. They were doing a full show like that. And I was like, I want to do that. And so then I ended up producing that show, which was great. It was an, an amazing experience. And I feel like I've been my whole life been trying to get back to that. experience. <laughs> I mean, <it's>, it, <laughs> yeah. it,
1: it, that's a, a hard thing to even recreate now, but I think BZ is probably the best example yeah of that level of creativity so when you're in a place like that like an incubator of creativity and you've done this with second city Mm -hmm. do you think that that made it easier for you to adjust to 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 the bez
2: lifestyle yeah the yes and stuff works out i mean once you once you adopt that philosophy and it's so dumb like when you when you hear people say yes and and it's an improv thing where that's kind of the the ethos when you're on stage, you don't deny your partner. You don't deny uh, the things that are coming out. So you don't say, no, we they say, welcome to Starbucks. And you say, no, I'm in Paris. The whole scene's ruined. <laughs> it's like, if you can't, uh, you know, you guess and and keep building. And so you, you use that philosophy in your life. And I feel like at working on a talk show, like a public affairs news talk show every day, Monday through Friday, you got to use that. You can't stop and continue to say no. You have to say yes. And you got to keep moving. And once you start to recognize that, then I feel like that skill set of being able to do daily work like you do, and then having the uh, creative experience of doing, you know, ensemble, sketch comedy, and and whatever, it's easier to brainstorm an idea and execute the idea. That's the issue. There's so many people right now listening who will be like, I have g- great ideas. But when it comes down to it, you have to execute the idea for it to be an idea. And that's where a lot of our, I think a lot of our colleagues in this business, they get hung up. They don't realize that that's what you have to do. You have to have a track record for executing. Even when it's daunting right in front, it's really hard to climb that wall. You got to climb the wall. And and I feel like that helped me because, you know, lifting a a theater show off the ground, an improv show off the ground, a radio show off the ground, those are all similar concepts. And so you have to be able to kind of have the experience to lift it, not be afraid, take the risks you need to take, you know, because not everything's going to work and and be able to, to continue to move forward. And if you have those things and that's part of your personality and, and you can draw on those things, it's, it's a pretty easy combo. And, and you, you're a great, I mean, what are you doing right now? You're doing, you're doing your shift, right? So you've got your show, you're doing this podcast, you're probably doing, you were, you were just on, which is, I don't even want to get into the fact that you're not on TV, that's bullshit. But the the idea that, you know, I mean, you were doing that as well. I'm, I'm, a, I'm assuming there were times when, People around you are like that's too much, or you know, yes. you yourself are like that's. But you, you have the ability. You are one of the the lucky ones. where You have the ability to to lift it and move it because you had the experience of doing it. So it's the same concept. There's there's not a lot of people that can do that.
1: Yeah, I, I had the teaching stuff too. Like I, I and I love that part of it. And it's weird because it it's it satiates like a bunch of different parts that make me me. And so it even on the days where it's like, I've been working since 9 a.m. And now it's 1 a.m. because the Bears had a night game. And yet you feel strangely satisfied uh-huh. at the end of that journey of a day where, where you wake up and you're like, man, there's a lot to do. And then you look up and the, the 13 hours has gone by and you're like, wow, that was that was pretty spectacular. What it's happened like elections. Today. I do that
2: with elections, man. I go crazy for that stuff. I host election nights for BZ and for GN before that. And that's a day, that's a long day to like hop on and then be the voice that like gives you the election results. Those are those, but when you're done, you're wired, man. You're like, this is, this is what I, I love this. I love the, uh, um, the adrenaline is what keeps you going for some reason. That's like the, the energy source that you that guys like you and me kind of play off.
1: Well, clearly you draw on Chicago politics in a lot of different aspects of your life. Like what, what do you think is something that would be valuable for a listener to know about how Chicago
2: politics works? That's great. I, and we're, I'm actually working on a project about that too. Is, really? Yeah. Kind of like, is, you know, just this idea tossing around this idea like in the, for years now, they've been talking about as a Chicago machine, quote unquote, you know, they call Chicago politics, is it dead? And, but then you see federal investigations in the, into Walderman, like Alderman Burke or the speak the former speaker of the house, Mike Madigan. And you're like, well, that's, that is, I mean, that's textbook. (laughs) What they're doing is if you, you know, uh, give money to whoever uh, and they've worked it out over time. So they understand how to do it. I think what Chicago politics is, is it's dirty. And, and I don't mean dirty as not necessarily a negative thing. I think it's like, you got to get your hands dirty. And I think it's a, I think there's a lot of shadows and ghosts Meaning there's a lot of, and this is an issue, like I'm watching, I'm right now, we just talked about this last night with my wife, we're watching the show Billions. Yeah. Yeah. And I I have not seen it. And I'm just like watching, but there's a great moment where the main character, who's the the stockbroker is talking about like, hey, I'm not doing anything that no one, that my competitors aren't doing, or that hasn't been done in the past. So why are they singling me out? And I was like, that's really interesting, because that's what politicians say. And they do it. They they lean on the fact that back when old man Daley was the mayor of Chicago, there was a there was a sort of quid pro quo. There was a you know I'm going to get you a job if you help me get elected, and that became illegal at a certain point. The shackman decree came in, and they said you can't do that anymore. And you have all of these like in the last two decades, these politicians are like, yeah, but that's how I was taught. Right? <laughs> I mean, I came from the Daily Tree. You know, it's like it, it, to give a sports analogy, it's like if a Defensive coordinators are like, you can't blitz anymore. <laughs> They'd be like, that's what I was taught. What do you mean I can't put pressure on the quarterback? No, they changed the rules. You can't blitz. There's no blitzes. They, you'd be like, no, I'm going to blitz, right? That's that's what I was taught. And I think that there's a little bit of that. And and I think what you're seeing is right now in Chicago politics is that there's a new breed of, of politician, and you see it a lot in, the, in city council you saw in this last election, uh, Alderman Haddon, uh, uh, Alderman Rosanna Rodriguez in the 33rd, Alderman Vasquez in the 40th. These are all young politicians who didn't come from somewhere. They didn't get tied, they didn't get trained by the committeemen or tra- this is how you do it. <laughs> like they, they lost that part. They lost the Goodfellas part of it. Jeanette <laughs> Taylor. And Yeah, right, Jeanette Taylor, that's a great example, Alderman Taylor. And and I feel like at the end of the day, that's what you're gonna see a shift. So the, I think that's putting extra pressure on the dinosaurs. The Madigans and the Burks and the other people, because they become, it almost is like when, uh, you know, at all, like there's a stampede and everybody takes off. And now you see two people with their hands in the cookie jar. Like it used to be like 10, 15 years ago, everybody had their hand in the cookie jar, maybe 20, 25 years ago. And now no, not everybody's got their hand and the Burks and they're like, what? I can have an extra cookie, right? <laughs> and that's the problem is I think that that's why you're seeing these guys in a federal investigation because they're, uh, they are from the past. And that used to be the way, and it's not just Chicago. It's DC. It's New York. It's LA. I think Chicago gets a bad rap because we're not as uh, sexy, maybe as the other towns, We're not as slick. Our, our suits aren't as pressed.
1: Yeah, but our characters are probably more colorful.
2: Right, right. But it's the same. It's politics, and 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 that's what Blagojevich back in what 2010 was arguing. I went to jail because of politics. They changed the game. They changed the rules of politics. I was doing what I was taught. And you're like, yeah, well, whoever talks to you is an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, and at a certain point, that's, I think, there's maybe he's got a point. You know, it's like if you were taught that way, but, you know, times change, man. We're seeing it now. For
1: sure. Let me go back to Second City for a second. Who was a performer, and not the anyone in your class, but yeah. who was someone that you were watching on TV or doing sketch comedy that you were like, that's... That person has it. That's what I
2: want. When we were uh, taking classes at Second City, it was Thursday nights. So we would all get together, you know, uh, all fresh rookies, and we'd take these classes upstairs. And then we'd be done with our class at like 1030. And so we would sneak down into the Second City main stage. This would be like 1996. And watch the set at the end of uh, an improv or a Second City show, a main stage show. They do an hour and a half show, sketches. Then they tell the audience, if you want to stick around for free, we're going to do improv. And they do it, like, I think at Thursdays, Saturdays. They don't do it on Fridays. I don't even know what they do anymore. It's pandemic. They're not even open. But the the idea being that was what they would do at the time. So we would sneak in for the set. And the cast was Tina Fey. Right? What was it? Um, uh, Rachel Dratch.
3: Uh, Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corrient.
2: one of the best improvisers of all time, Scott Adsit, uh, who's famous. and uh, He's in 30 Rock. He played Pete in 30 Rock. Um, Kevin Dorf, who's all over stuff. I see him all the time. And Jim Zulovic, who passed away, who's also hilarious. This crew would do improv, and it was like, like, I'd never seen anything like it, ever. I mean, it was like, they were, everything they did was funny, connected. They were in shape. They were in shape. They were like a great offense. Everything they did. They were just like wow, and I got to see that like as a as a kid who was just starting at Second City every Thursday night, and it was like a treat. You look forward to. It. I feel like it had a big uh, impact on my life because it was like you know, you're know, you impressionable at that time, and just watching, you're like, this is how it should be done. It it kind of messed up improv for me for the rest of my life, because every time I see an improv show from here on out, I'm like, that's not good enough. <laughs> so you judge it by that standard. <laughs> judge it by, the- and the Upright Citizens Brigade, which was Matt Walsh and uh, Amy Poehler and and. Uh, Ian Roberts and Matt Besser they also were a sketch group at the time they just got their Comedy Central show before they kind of all launched their careers before Polar was on SNL and they too were in Chicago and they did shows with Horatio Sands and Adam McKay and a bunch of people like in the mid-90s this is where, where it's at and I mean come on uh some of the best stuff of all time so that crew right there that 90s crew the all those people I just mentioned the best improvisers in the history of improv, and they, they, they. I would watch them every Thursday and just be blown away by them every time. What
1: did you love, or still love, about live radio?
2: Live radio is great, man. I, I don't, I don't necessarily like to tape stuff. <laughs> you know, because there's been a couple of shows in my time where I worked at BZ where it was a taped weekend thing, or, or like when I did this, my sketch show, like it was more like a theater of the mind show. And we ran for a couple seasons on BBC. It was taped. I hated it. I was just like, it doesn't live radio is. And you do you are one of the best at it, man. I, I, I love Thank it. And I learned a ton you saying that. I I learned a ton from you know being in the chair at WGN for five years. Live radio is great because you settle in and you 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 are part of the energy of the night or day or whenever you're doing it. But and you know from doing nights, man, there's an energy to it.
0: Mm-hmm. You get into this
2: vibe. And, and you know, I was doing shows out of that fishbowl on Michigan Avenue. And there's just something about being there and being in in control of it. The in in like you're almost your own showrunner. You're your showrunner. And Pete Zimmerman I worked with, who was an awesome producer. But we were just like at this vibe. And I just loved it, man. It, it felt like something. It felt like you were you were almost like in a marriage, you were going for a finish line. And you don't necessarily get that. Now like some of the best shows ever are taped. I mean, This American Life with Ira Glass, that's a real, that's taped. That is a show. But they, but I found that Ira, what he does, and he's the best I've ever seen do this, he takes the elements we're talking about, Lawrence, and he, he uses them in the taped environment. So he's always, like, the last thing he does is the intros and he does them live. He's always trying to find little edges, little edges to make it live, to make it to, to catch that energy. And there's something great about it, man. But but in terms of the – I mean, I ask you the same question. I mean, there's something about that energy, man. It's better than being on tape. It is. It, it's it's weird. I was trying
1: to describe it to someone a couple days ago of, look, the podcast world I dig because of how in-depth we can go with a particular subject or an interview. Like, I like And no the, format. Right. right.
2: No format. I don't have
1: to worry about breaking. I can just keep talking to someone who I think is interesting. But there is something about the energy of, of live radio that it it's hard to duplicate. Like it really is. And you know, on days where there's a big bear story, like there was a, a bear's game and, and you're reacting to it, it or people have had twelve hours to think about it and they they wanna know what you think and you wanna yeah. know what they think about all of this stuff and it's that energy is is really, really hard to try and find a, a comp for. And I, I find it, I still get something out of it. And honestly, like, I've started to go back to the studio over the last month or so, and I forgot how much I loved the studio. Like, I love what I've built in my house, but it's not the same as – being separated by glass from your producer and the nonverbal stuff that you can do with your producer. It's, oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. there's just something cool about it.
2: And the, and the moments that you make, I mean, that the live radio is about moments They're, you know, you're going to have your hit your traffic and your commercials and all that kind of stuff, but there are moments that are made. And when that moment comes up, that's magical or, or emotional or something's happening in that moment. Like you got to be ready to seize on that. And that, that that always is in the back of your head. That's always there. Like you need two more minutes or they just said something that broke news or you want to say something that's emotional about a friend or, or whatever it might be. Those kind of moments are really hard to do taped. They don't have the same feel, you know? And there's just something great about, I don't know, like just kind of like being in that moment. I love it. I've been doing a ton of Twitch. I have a startup right now called Chicago for Real with, a, with like eight Second City people I know. And... It's all Twitch is great like that. It's live, and it's the same kind of thing where you like it, it's it's a medium that doesn't do tape. <laughs> it does, doesn't really do it. And early on, I was like, "What if we taped an hour here and there?" And I'm like, "No, that's the that's the ultimate. The ultimate is is the idea of being live." And and I think new mediums like uh, Twitch, like Clubhouse, uh, other places. I think that they're trying to get both of those things together. They're trying to find no format like a podcast. And the energy of alive together, and see how that works. I always feel for our
1: friends on FM because I feel like it's becoming homogenized on FM. You know, I, I grew up in a Chicago that had Eddie and Jobo on B ninety six, and yep. had Tom Joyner and Doug Banks on WGCI, yeah. and 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 now I I know a lot of talented FM DJs, and they're they're doing stuff like but mostly the stuff that they're doing ends up being a component of social media. Like, I'm going to take this idea because now I actually have more than 30 right. seconds, and I'm going to do, some, do something fun on social media. Do you think that, that the pendulum will ever swing back for FM? Because I think AM will always be what it is. Like, it, it, it's the talk format, and it'll be that way. Is there anything that would allow for that pendulum to swing back? So that our FM brothers and sisters would have more
2: room to explore. If there's still success, if you have success, like let's say public radio, right? If BZ and BZ is not, BZ is actually behind most of the other public radio stations in the country. Like if you're in San Francisco or New York or DC or Philadelphia, they're, they're close to the top in all the markets. But Chicago is a different town. It loves its meat and potatoes. It loves its AM talk. GN for a long time kicked the crap out of WBEC. but you're seeing now a switch because I think that you're that's what you're talking about you can get a fresh air interview with Terry Gross where it goes 25 minutes you know where they're talking that she had uh, Sasha Baron Cohen on the other day for 25 minutes before they take a break and you're like there is nowhere else to do that and so they're building formats that are like that where they don't because they don't have commercials and they obviously doing pledge drives and stuff like that there's other things they do to annoy the shit out of us <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> what what our radio stations in the past do they, they, they have plenty of annoyances too but the but I think that if those are successful formats I think you'll start to see I mean I think I was hired at WGN I was I was a, a EP at a uh, BEC and they hired me and Todd and Jimmy DeCastro. Their their whole thing was like, listen, we need to do something different. Like we can't just have five minutes traffic, five minutes you know commercial, five minutes back to the newsroom. This is not flowing. So let's take our nighttime, which is not as important when it comes to sponsorships and the ratings, and let's try some other shit. And and they 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 have their eyes on not the new management. The next star management doesn't care, but the they had their eyes on NPR, like to say we can get at that audience that audience is there. And a lot of people want that kind of content. They may not want it to sound that way, you know, they, but they want that, that value. They want that 25 minute interview. So when I come in and I've got, you know, Michael Shannon, um, I remember I could sit down. Yeah. I could sit down with Michael Shannon for an hour. I'm going to have breaks in there, but you know, the idea of being like, we're going to try our best to like, to, to give it that NPR feel where you're getting 15 before break 17 before break, all that went out when next Star took over. They're like, this is the clock. Don't stray from the clock. (laughs) It's like a lot of like they're like, this is this is you have to hit this at this exact second. If you don't hit it here, you're gonna be you're gonna be in the PD's office. Like it it was like straight up that kind of
1: stuff. I always wonder in some of these situations where you have companies that are dictating some of this because you know they've seen their formatting succeed in this market or that market. How much time do they spend with talent? Like that, that, that always seems like it's a, it's missing from, from, you know, why don't you talk to your talent about this and say, hey, how can we make this successful
2: for everyone and everyone gets rich? Well, so many times it's not specific to to one radio station, but so many times, especially when you're in a situation where it got sold, the, the management company that's coming in is under the philosophy they need to fix it or that they're going to come in and, and, you know, they're going to pump it their way to get more out of it. And so they almost see their talent as the enemy, and if not the enemy adversarial. And you saw that, I think you saw that at WGN because they quickly came in and said, no more Cochran, no more Rokan, no more Bill and Wendy, like down the line, they just kind of like, once those contracts were up, they were out. And, you know, and, and that's their prerogative. I'm not saying it's wrong. That's, but I think that that's, that's what you get when you're we're almost publicly trading radio as you get every 5 or 6 years a company that's going to come in and change the format because they think they can it's working like you said it's working in charlotte so it should work in chicago so that's just so you see that a lot on the fm dial where they're like it's not a country station anymore it's a hard rock station you're like what <laughs> like it's that kind of stuff and and they do that periodically and it's, it's you know it's a radio trick but yeah i don't know i don't i don't have the answer for you know i think that radio is a business and at a certain point, other business people think they can run it better and they and they change the things. But I hope that the success of, of not-for-profit models uh, and the success of other mediums, like I, I really truly believe, like podcasts, uh, Clubhouse, we we talk about, Twitch, like these places where they're having success there doing things outside of those formats. And hopefully good programmers and radio will go, you know what? I see a clock differently now. You know, Howard Stern was doing that shit way before his time and that's why he eventually got kicked out of there you know half for FCC violations but half because the radio station like we need to run spots and he would do 45 minutes straight of nothing and then do the last 20 minutes of spots right <laughs> you know he just he didn't he had no he had no respect for the clock in a good way and we loved it we loved it as I wanted to hear him and Chris Rock like I don't want to hear I don't want him to go do the uh, lobster or the <laughs> teddy bear gram you know like I don't I don't, he don't need to do that just give me the interview and they learn quickly at places like Sirius. Is a, XM is a great example of, of a place that's adapted. So I hope that it's not like the end. We're, we're closer to the end, the sunset on some of the commercial radio properties in this town. But they, it feels like there has to be some innovation coming, man. There has to be. And I hope that they hire the right people to do that.
1: I think that part of the issue is is because of the the nature of selling and the way that selling at radio stations works and the connections with advertising agencies that it's, it's sort of kind of the mission creep of, well, we give you these advertising dollars and we're, we're not going to tell you how to program, but we want to make sure that all of yeah. our stuff gets in and you've got to figure out how to do it. And I think that there was a long time that radio stations were afraid of raising their ad rates because of what it would do to their relationship with an advertising agency. And so you get kind of stuck in, well, we've got to keep our prices the same, so we've got to find more inventory to sell. And now where you used to have hours that were 15 minutes of commercials, now those go to 19 minutes or 22 minutes of commercial and and less program, and that balance gets upset.
2: That's true. You nailed it. And I wonder if you just have to find, I think that you see it on your station. And I think, uh, I see it a little bit on, on like the television, uh, sports shows where they're selling everything. Like they're saying it's the, you know, whatever company, uh, you know, replay or or whatever it might be in a way that's not necessarily commercial. A lot of that is doubled up. Meaning you get the commercial and you get that sponsorship,
0: Yes, but I'd like to
2: see more innovation in, in how we do sponsorships. Because if you, could, if you could do something, I had a sponsorship at GN that was kind of new for GN, which was with a bank. And they wanted to do a business segment. And I went in and I pitched them. I said, I'll do your business segment. I'm doing it. You know, like I will, I will get you, here's the pitch. Top CEOs, cool companies, uh, uh, how, how being in Chicago matters. I, I produce it. You don't. You know, it's not, it's not going to be like a, a cycle of things through, right? And, and just put your name on it. And that took a while for them to understand, because I think the old way of radio was like, we want, we want almost like an infomercial. Right. You know? And, and that's where I'm, I, my argument is like, people are can see through that pretty quick at this stage of the game. And so you have to be better at like, you know, producing better content. And and partnership. Like that's what it's supposed to be. Like it's, let me create
1: something for you that fits who I am. And helps me to sell your product, and and I I think that sometimes that, that whether it's the agency or the seller themselves, they're so quick to like let's just get this on the air, like no, yeah. let's create a relationship between the company and
2: talent. Well, the and, sales guys, the radio sales guys want their cash too. You know, like I I mean that's part of the problem too. I love I, I have a million friends that are in the sales department, but they're like they know how to get their bread butter. Right. They, they're not looking for it. They're, there's not anybody in the room. That's like, all right, let's come up with an innovative idea. That's going to go. <laughs> uh, we're going to stretch this out. No, they're like, here's the rate. I need my check. I got to pay for school or whatever it is. So I feel like, you know, there's part of that, too, is like the incentive, the way that sales commissions and all that kind of stuff. You should have a salesperson on this podcast. That would be great. I would listen to that like hardcore. if We could find one who would tell all on that stuff. I actually have someone in mind for that. Perfect.
1: I, I would listen to that like crazy. Because because the, the person that I'm thinking of did really, like, wasn't beholden to ad agencies. Like, he did a lot of retail. So, I mean, <laughs> he was literally, like, cold calling and, and pounding the streets and built up this pretty nice little empire of people who
2: trusted him with their small businesses. Uh, I, I, love, I love to hear that. I, I remember this, like, when I started my show on WGN, The Download, I... I had a lot of friends who were, you know, it was, it was a lot of media around it and I had a friend who owned a bar mm. and he lived by, we lived in the same building. And he was like, dude, I want to sponsor your show. And I was like, that's awesome. You don't have to do that. That's great. He's like, no, I think it's great. It's great for me. Blah, blah, blah. Who would I call? Gave him the sales guy, blah, blah, blah. I didn't hear nothing about it. Saw him on the street. I, he pulled up while I was walking by and he pulled up and he came out and he's like, Hey, I've been looking for you. He's like, I wanted, I talked to your guy and they upselled me. Like they upsell me in the way that they're like, yo, if you want to be a sponsor here, you got to sponsor this show and that show and this show. And it's this much. And what I was talking like, you know, hundreds, maybe a couple thousand. They were talking 25, 50,000, you know, and that's, and nothing against the sales guys. That's, that's what they make money off of. So the idea of this guy who wanted to give money to a show to his friend who like, I want to help out. There's not a space for that. Because they tried, I remember I brought in uh, a couple of sponsors at that time because they were like, we want to really make the show cool and, and hip and, and the sponsors should reflect that. And I remember getting with uh, a guy who had a beer, beer company. And again, and I, I it's not their fault. But GN was like, all right, here's a better pitch. How about the whole thing? Right. <laughs> like, it's like, they're like, we just want to do like, we want to do this for Justin. And they're like, no, better, bigger. Take a look, millions. What do you think? And we're like,
1: no. How about your entire advertising budget for this year and next?
2: Right. What do you
1: think about it? <laughs> what do you
2: of think of that? So I'm like, uh so I mean, but that's again, that's the incentive, right? Sales companies are that or sales uh people who work at radio stations are trying to get paid. So I get it. I'm not I don't begrudge them, but I think that's why you see not a lot of turnover in the ad center on AM radio and not a lot of like it's like they they've got their thing going. What was the best time at GN for you? Oh, I rebooted Milt Rosenberg's extension 720, which uh, I, I was never a big fan. I, don't, I don't, not, You know, he's he died and he's great and a legend. And I listened to a lot of his stuff when I rebooted it. And he's, he's fucking great, man. <laughs> he's great. He did a show, Lawrence, that was like for 50 years on GN at night.
1: I would listen to it on my way home from my show.
2: Yeah, yeah I, and I, 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 I'm telling you, man. And, and, and I think a lot of people remember him like late in his life because he hung on, he was on the air, I think till he was in his nineties and he got much more kind of the modern day talk radio, where he's doing like a lot of right-wing kind of yes.
0: talks.
2: But you can listen back to like some of the stuff he was doing in the seventies and eighties. He would have like all of these people would come in and he would have these conversations just as you're talking about, like, when are we going to, does FM ever going to change their format? It's going to be longer form type stuff. That's what it was. And it was awesome. Like you listen to him, like having these, really intimate conversations What you as we started this conversation ours talking about like when you know they go in and you could tell he had harold washington on and he had harold washington i listened this whole hour where he harold washington knows who milt rosenberg is and they're they're challenging each other and they're casual and they're formal it's it's like what you want out of a mayor conversation like it was just real and you're like this is awesome and it's both the host and it's the mayor where they're just like it's a different era where they're just having a two hour conversation, <laughs> right? Eight to 10, 10 to 12, whatever it was. So when I came in and rebooted it, I was like, well, I want to do that, but I also want to do some of the stuff I was doing at B E Z. So I got I got really ambitious and I started doing a lot of documentary stuff, which GN had never heard of. I took a lot of my B E Z stuff and I brought it over. So I did a I did a uh, that summer, which would have been 2018, 2019, uh, we hung out in back of the yards at a, at a not-for-profit that was a non-violence, like they took over uh it was a church, but they took over a, a school, and turned into a community center for the kids down there, and we hung out there, and I talked to all these, I mean, it was amazing, it was amazing to like embed yourself, I had the time, you know I had the time, because the White Sox, because the White Sox are on GN, and That's that meant right. I had the day off, so I would just go work, i just go hang out, and so then I was able to put that together, and mix stuff together that was like compelling, and interesting, and voices you never heard before, are like from their front stoop, you know, and that kind of stuff. And uh, did a whole thing on on uh, AIDS Awareness Day, like uh, for for Pride Month that was was really memorable for me. And that kind of stuff where I was like bringing like long-form documentary shit to GN was, I was like, oh, you're on a roll. Me and Pete Zimmerman were on a roll. I was like, this is the best stuff I've ever done in my life. And then the company got sold. <laughs> and the first meeting I had with the new PD is like, none of that shit. <laughs> it's
1: like- the whole thing that you've been doing—it's completely no, wrong. No, not that. <laughs> Get it out of here, and we're gonna go do something.
2: You know what? Just, uh, just uh, whatever's in the news. Talk about whatever's in the news that night, and take calls. That's what it was. So.
1: Oh, that's so frustrating.
2: It's frustrating, but it was a—it was an awesome summer, man. That was like the best. I, I still, still look back in that time, and I'm like, I can't believe we did. Those kind of shows on GN, and we probably did about twenty five of them. Like when it was, because it was just over one three month period. But I loved
1: it. Pete Zimmerman is a good man. He he th- yeah he is. He actually texted me a couple days ago because I guess he was producing at the time, and one of my listeners mistakenly texted GN <laughs> something that was going on on my show. That's great. And Pete goes. You know, Lawrence it sounds like you're doing a great show today one of your texters <laughs> filtered into what we were doing on our text screen, and uh here's what I think about it. it was just so great it was like totally Pete and uh, he's
2: really really wonderful one more thing it's a, a good crew man Chicago's got a good media crew there's a lot of young up-and-coming people that are good people that are doing great work and and uh I don't think that gets said enough you know uh, it's a tough business people get laid off and they get uh, bounced to the next job pretty quick but man there's a lot of up-and-coming young new uh voices that uh, i think are going to be the future here
1: yeah i'm i'm seeing well, my former producer tony gill i think is a game changer type dude and it's so weird because you see them when they start their internships or whatever and you go oh like oh there's you've got the thing the thing yeah. the the special thing and i'm I'm so excited about like what he ends up becoming. Cause when you see that level of talent pop up, it's very exciting to see where it might take
2: that person. Are we going to talk any sports? I want to talk sports. I want to talk. You do? Uh, I, I was... watched, I've been watching uh, every bulls game. Cause they run them on uh, NBC sports at 1130. So I'm catching. So I purposely don't pay attention to anything during the night. And so I could watch the game, uh, you know, when uh, everyone's asleep why well, try to, I try
1: to leave people alone about sports because you know like obviously that's what I do for a living yeah. but here's what I'll ask you about the Bulls being a longtime Bulls person mm-hmm. doesn't it feel good to care about Bulls games again
2: it does uh, you know I Zach Levine's a real deal I I've been watching him and I have been I have been not in the Zach Levine camp like when he came over in the Jimmy Butler deal, I was like, all right, you know, and and I haven't watched the bulls that much because they sucked for the last couple of years. And, and I just, every time I did watch a game, I just saw him chucking threes and I was like, what are you doing? A dunk and then chucking threes. Like that's all he's doing all the time. And I'm like, all right, but I've, w- I've been watching him the last couple of games. And I mean, he's, he's, he's at the level, I think of, of some of the superstars in the NBA right now. Uh, I'm a little bit annoyed that um, the bulls are always hurt like, like uh, marketing Porter, and Potter. yeah yeah I, I don't understand because it's hard for me to engage like to, to actually gauge where they're at because those two every time i'm like man if they just had a swing four <laughs> i'm like oh shit they do he's
3: just hurt you he's know just hurt oh, they time. had a,
2: a veteran coming off the bench a small forward that could score do, yeah, yeah like right? it would
1: be wonderful if those two things would
2: but they i mean what they need and it's it's kind of embarrassing but what they need is a big man they're not going to get anywhere the, the Jokic or Jokic Jokic Jokic, Jokic.
1: Jokic. yeah Jokic?
2: It, it wasn't just him it's it embarrassing was, man. Jokic
1: Embiid Anthony Davis they can't guard a special big that's their problem and Wendell Carter is trying like he's yeah he's trying like it's not because he's not putting in the work it just you see the difference in level of play and those are the guys you got to get through
2: Embiid
0: mm-hmm. And
2: uh, and also uh, Jokic and, yeah,
0: and Anthony Davis, and
2: Giannis. But the, the, I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna go anywhere in the East at all with those guys that are at the top. Doesn't matter what your uh, record is. It's it's embarrassing. It's kind of watch as a Bulls fan for years and basketball fan. It's like embarrassing how easy it is for those special talented centers to play basketball against the Bulls.
1: Over the last couple of days, as we're recording this. Joakim Noah announced that he is retiring from the NBA. I feel like he had an impact that was um is hard to describe because he wasn't a superstar player. He was just kind of a good player. Yeah. And he was standing next to a superstar in Derrick Rose. But I feel like if you asked 100 Chicagoans of and took Rose out of the conversation and asked them who their favorite bull was, yep. they would tell you Joakim Noah. Why, yep. why do you think he had that type of impact?
2: Well, I mean, I hate to play into the stereotypes of Chicago sports fans, but man, we love defense and Noah and that, that kind of like bring your pale to, you know, to work kind of <laughs> garbage that, that we've been talking about the 85 bears for, <laughs> for 40 years or whatever, but it's true. There's something about, no, I mean, because even in, he would be the equalizer. If you had a, a big at that time and I'm trying to think who they were at that time, it was a guy like uh, Noah that would come off, come and and neutralize that. You know? And so for me, I feel like he was an awesome like kind of game changer. Kind of reminded me of uh like some of the the Cliff Levingston vibe, like yes. where you get that thing going and like you know, when Jordan's on the bench kind of thing, but he was starting, I know. But but that's what I felt about Noah. is like he gave the Bulls their identity. Because Derrick Rose was an okay defender. I don't think that he would go down. People are saying he's a great defender. Dang was awesome. He was lanky. But Noah was great in the paint, man. He would he would make big plays and with a lot of energy. And I, I'll tell you right now, if they had Noah on this team, this team would have five more wins. Because it would be a lot of these like mid-level. And it's not just the special bigs. I watched the game against the Pistons. Jeremy Grant has the game of his life because he, pulls in, he goes into the lane and he's not contested. And I meaning he could stop and hit a mid-range jumper. He can go to the hoop. There's no one there that they fear. There's no one off the bench they fear. There's not, and again, you know, it's not marketing, but it's like, I feel like they had a Noah back there that, you know, a guy like Jeremy Grant's like, I think I'll just pop the three instead of <laughs> going to the lane. He wouldn't have those kind of games. And that's what I think this Bulls team's missing. And I don't know how you fix it, man. I don't know, because there's no one's giving those players up. You know, I don't know. Maybe you draft a a big guy, draft that kid out of the Illini. But I I don't know, man. I I don't see a quick fix on on the Bulls making the playoffs this year.
1: I don't see a quick fix on it either, but I got to tell you, I have really leaned into how much of a difference just a competent NBA coach can make. I know, right? Isn't it great? It's great. Billy Donovan is... I don't, if you, have you watched any of his post game?
2: No, but he, is he better than? I, <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm telling you, Justin, watch the next game. Do yourself a favor and just watch Billy Donovan because what he does is that he explains to you what happened. He tells you what his plan is to make sure that it doesn't happen again. And, and he tells talks about what the players did right and wrong without bus tossing them and there's never he's always the equilibrium on that guy when he's at the microphone is dope and it's just what we've been missing as Bulls fans
2: I guess it's one step at a time right like fix all that stuff fix the coach and and his communication fix the I mean he's done wonders with Zach Levine I mean I honestly like He's the only guy we go down and you're like, wow, he's going to make that shot. <laughs> right. You, you kind of like hold your breath with Kobe, with Kobe White where you're like, I don't know if he's got it today. But with Levine, he's like, he's going to make it. And you're like, that's amazing. That's a skill. He reminds me a lot of what they have in Utah uh, with Mitchell. Like the idea that you've got a star. He's a star. You know, they're they're going to have, they need other pieces, but that's the star who you can count on to make a bucket even late. Uh, and that's why I think they got to, they got to figure out. I don't think they need to trade. I think they should just like run it out this year um because you don't know what you have in some of these guys that are hurt but and I don't think they trade to make a run this year maybe they trade some assets I don't know I don't know get eight AT- a- a- Anthony Davis got to come to Chicago
1: well, right I would love for that to be the case but I think that he has found himself yeah. out there and it's too bad that 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 he that the bulls were never really an option yeah you know like I think now, if if Anthony Davis's free agency was coming up now, the Bulls would be an option for him. But before, I, what what was the just what would be the justification? Like, if, if you're any free agent or really good player, what in the world would outside of how great our city is, what in the world would make you say I want to go play for that franchise?
2: I got a buddy who says that about the Bears. Uh, who says that uh, he, you know, he sent me the other day, he sent me uh, Stephen A. Smith's uh, it's cold in Chicago rant. <laughs> why would anyone want to go to Chicago? But he says that that's a big thing that like people don't, they love the city, the city's great, but they don't want to play here. And that's why any sort of like waving no trade clause for Russell Wilson or Jack Prescott or Russ or Deshaun Watson's not going to happen. And I, if that is the case, if it just comes down to the fact that they don't like the fact that it's 30,
1: there's nothing we can do there's nothing we can do about that uh it didn't stop the goat but there's nothing that we can do about any of that sort of stuff yeah, he was
2: drafted though and what well, but he could have left
1: like he, <laughs> he could have been like left. i i do want to go play someplace warm and he said no i'm gonna play right here before i let you go never we got a five-hour shift let's, let's keep going no i i want to ask you what's something that you because I think about Chicago in terms, like in these types of terms, what's something that just always brings you back to loving this city? Because I could hear it, like when you would do your yeah. shows, like there's a there's a, a a love that clearly comes across when you talk about this city.
2: Where do you think that comes from? I think this. I, I love when Chicago shows up on a world stage. I, I love I love the idea that uh, people recognize that this is not some flyover town that. Uh, uh, it is it's you know Lollapalooza does that I think you know last just, year's think, all-star game I last thought year's was game. amazing even even just you know the idea of people who are in town like I love it when people are in town and they're at a at a club or at the restaurant or whatever and you're like oh you know James Harden was at a you know Purple Pig on Michigan Avenue <laughs> like hell yeah he <laughs> was <laughs> and then he went to Club O yeah right <laughs> Or like back in the day, I forgot that. Oh, no, wasn't even that club. That was, uh, that uh, whenever LeBron would come in with the heat, they would always end up at the club at that club with Bulls. I think with Noah and other people. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Oh my God. Yeah, Under- underground.
2: Uh, yeah. Underground, those kind of places. Um, uh, I love that, but I also love, you know, Chicago is, is, I always say this because I grew up in a very rural town. I grew up in Wonder Lake, Illinois, 8,000 people. It was a, it's not even a suburb. It's, it's, I don't know what you call it. It's probably closer to the Wisconsin border than it is to Chicago, but my parents were from Chicago, moved out there. So we got a Chicago vibe, but I always say like, you know, it's amazing to me to be able to walk out my door and be this close to um, architecture, to uh, business, to, to restaurants, to sports, to whatever it is, the highest of the high. And uh, in this country, sometimes second to none. And, and whether well, that might be the comedy clubs or that might be whatever, that really does something to me, man. It's like, it's a chip on the shoulder kind of thing where you're just like, this is the real deal. I'm living the real deal. Like I could live in New York, there's no doubt about it, but I'm living in the real, right now I am, I am among the greats. Like I'm among the top people in this country who are all, you know, you and others who are all a part of this small community, which is really does feel like a small town in a big city. I love that. I don't take that for granted ever. When I pop out and I get on Lower Wacker, when I'm done with uh, GN or BEZ, and I pop up that ramp uh, at Randolph or I pop pop out towards Navy Pier, every single time, man, I'm just like, "Let's go, let's go!" And I don't know what it is, man. There's like some energy to it. I,
1: I gotta tell you, when I did a, there's a race that happens in October. At least it used to. Hopefully, when the marathon comes back, it'll come back too. It's a five k the saturday before the marathon so the day before the marathon and it's for all the people who like traveled with the marathoner and i i ran it and it was one of the most remarkable chicago moments i've ever had i'm running it and i'm 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 it's running season so i'm like i want to do a better 5k time than the last time i ran a 5k and i just threw it all away because i saw something remarkable and it's exactly the place that you're talking about the route took us from City Hall, and we came down Randolph. So we went underneath, and you pop up on the lakefront, and then you run to the museum, and then you turn oh, around, great. and you finish. <laughs>
2: that's great.
1: And so I'm I, i I'm like, okay, I'm making my time. Like, everything's going well. And I'm like, why, why are all these people stopping? Like, uh, during a race. I'm like, what happened? Who fell? Like, that's what I keep thinking in my mind. Is there an ambulance coming? No. It's all these people from around the world that in the moment when they get to the lakefront and they turn around and look back, they're like, oh, my God, this place is gorgeous. So I'm seeing all of these people stop in the middle of a race to take pictures of of downtown Chicago, and it was one of those like, perfect October uh, yeah. Saturday mornings where it's like forty five degrees, perfectly sunny, and no wind. And i I ended up like walking the rest of the race with people who weren't from here to talk to them about our city, and being able to see the city through their eyes was a magical, magical awesome. moment
2: for me. Uh, one of the great things when i worked at the trip tower and i go up into that studio man i felt like it was like david letterman or some shit like i was like because you park behind the, the the trip tower you walk lower wacker along the loading dock you go right into a service elevator that you get your card open up right into the elevator it takes you right to the lobby of the tribune tower and then you just pop right into the studio which is glass and it's like the thing i was like every day i felt like it was like i was on broadway like I was just like, this is the coolest Chicago experience of all time. Like, I'll meet great people that walk through here, but more importantly, like, it just had this vibe of almost like, like the bowels of the Chicago Stadium or something, where you're just like, all right, the game's, <laughs> you know, the game's about to start. I got to come in through the service entrance. I'm ready to go. Like Mario Show. <laughs> I'm ready to go. <laughs> Mario's my man.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's my man. Well, Justin, this was a, a real treat, man. I love it, man. I
2: could talk with you all day. I, lo- I love you, man. I, I love listening to you for years. I, you've always been uh, a must-listen to guy. I can't believe we haven't met in person. I know, I know.
1: This is and like I said, like the parallel tracks that we've been on is really, really amazing. So I'm I'm, I'm making a, a a pledge to you that once all of this shit gets settled. <laughs> that that we're we're going to yeah. have a, a meet and greet and hang out and, and
2: chat about all sorts of stuff let's do it man i'm ready whenever whenever you want i get a couple of shots in the arm and i'm ready to go all right dude i appreciate right. you thanks for Thank doing you, this man. man
1: you got it so this is gonna so this is gonna run uh probably next week i'll put it out okay. early next week but i'm gonna take the sports stuff and put it on the score tomorrow
2: Oh, hell yeah, man. Good, good. I mean, that'd be an honor. I'd be honored for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just let me know. Just uh, just let me know and just pop me in the, the Twitter and then I'll uh, promote it. You got it, man. Be well, All right, thanks, man. Thanks, man. A pleasure.
1: See, I told you that that was going to be a great episode and that Justin would be an outstanding guest. When I think about that conversation, it's pretty crazy. We went from talking about, like, G Herbo... To talking about Mayor Daly, there's no other podcast. You know what i I feel certain, certain that there's no other podcast that's doing that. Not out in these podcast streets. It's this one. It's House of L. That's the only podcast where you're gonna get a Chief Keith breakdown and a breakdown of Second City. It's the only one. Big thanks to Justin. I I really had a blast talking with him. That was a lot of fun. And everyone who told me that we should collaborate on something was 100% right. 100% right. So I'm glad that we got the opportunity to talk. There's more news on House of L. I'm excited. I'll tell you about it after I tell you. Go get... An insurance quote from my man, Brendan Studzinski, over at State Farm, out in Lincoln Park, chicagosf.com, chicagosf.com. You get a quote from him, Paul Chicago gets $10 from State Farm. Just a quote. Just have him work, work you up, and you get to get some money for Paul Chicago, which is an awesome charity to be a part of. I know some people who work through Paw Chicago, and you can get yourself a, a pup or you can help pups out. And all you got to do is get a quote from Brendan Studzinski, chicagosf.com, and David Hochberg, my man. You're not getting a quote. From, well, I guess technically, I guess you are getting a quote from him if you're thinking about refinancing your home or buying a new home. I might be in the market for a new home soon. We'll see. Eight five 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 six 56 david is the way you could just call him and be like, hey, I heard about you on House of L. Lawrence said you get stuff done. Is that true? And he'll tell you yes, because he does. You can go to his website and check it out yourself, 56david.com. You got a radio show over on GN Radio. You can listen to that too. But he helped me, and he can help you out. Trust me on that. 56david.com. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender, NMLS number 1124061. Big thanks again to Justin Kaufman for being on the podcast and I know that my my production of the podcast has been a little down lately and the reason for that is that I've been working on other stuff. Like I've been trying to get Jason and Russ squared away with what it is they want to do on their podcast. I've been trying to get Maddie Lee squared away with what she wants to do. I think it's great so far what she's doing. And I'm looking forward to even more. Maggie and I, we don't, Maggie and I don't have a set schedule for when we record the Bloodwine podcast. We just kind of, I'll text her and be like, hey, you want to talk about this? Or she'll be like, hey, let's talk about this. And then we jump on the Zoom, and it's all good to go. But now I'm back into the groove of getting back on schedule as far as interviews go. I've been a little preoccupied with getting the score contract done, and it looks like it's close to being done. I I can't believe I just said that on the podcast because you're not really supposed to – because you know how contracts are, are like – tomorrow it could be a nightmare and i'd be like oh no i didn't sign it at all but it feels like it's close to happening and when it does i'll do a whole episode about the entire thing but it feels like it's getting close to happening which is a good thing for me because i i want to be there like 25 is a nice round number and if this deal happens then i will have been at the score at the end of it it'll make 25 years and that's As good of a career as you can have. 25 years is good enough for Terry Boers. It's good enough for me. Shout out to Terry. Love that man. So hopefully I'll have some news on that front. In the next episode. But I got some really cool people that I'm lining up. For the podcast. And very different lives. And a lot of people who have taken very different routes. in, In broadcasting. So. It's going to be fun to to have them be on the pod. Thanks, as always, for your continued support of this podcast. It means the world to me. I can't wait for you to hear what Russ and Jason have in store. Thanks for your support of Maddie Lee's podcast. It's the last episode with Megan Montemuro. You need to go check that out, especially if you're a big Cub fan. You're going to love that episode. I'll talk to you next time with a new interview or Star Trek Talk. I don't know which one will be first yet. But thank you.
3: Peace.